Hello from elsewhere. I'm Valerie. And I'm Casey. And this episode comes to you straight from the Shire in Hobbiton. For in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And today we're discussing the children who shaped fantasy. Do we want to announce the small new addition to our family? The sweater comb? (laughs) I was really waiting. I was like, it's not a baby. The sweater comb. Yeah. Talk about the sweater comb. Is a small, useful tool that gets the fuzz off your sweaters, all the little pills on your sweater. Yeah. We both have many sweaters and some of them some of them are prone to little fuzzy buddies and you purchased the greatest tool of all time, our new little friend, the sweater comb. Dritz. By Dritz, who does not sponsor us yet. <laughs> if only. If only we could get all of our sweater comb needs. Plus we have they do many all sweater comb needs. <laughs> we do. Plus they do all kinds of sewing notions. Other than our sweater comb needs, we also have all important questions. Question needs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <Yes. laughs> it's a thing. What was the most influential book, movie, or TV show to you when you were a kid? The obvious answer is Star Wars, but I'm not going to say Star Wars. I'm going to say Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. I was a big Ninja Turtles fan as a Teenage kid. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's the new okay, one. Thank you so much. But, you know. Well, it's all of. the same. But, yeah. I mean, they've they've raced it up, the new... Raised? Raced it. You know, it's racier, it's faster. Racier. Yes. yes. <laughs> Ninja Turtles theme song is racier. <laughs> I just as far as pacing goes, the language goes, is really. Yeah. I think you. I think you need I a don't different know word. Music. <laughs> I know it's faster paced. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Ninja Turtles. I was a huge Ninja Turtles fan as a kid, and I was like big into action figures, all types of action figures. Naturally, Star Wars, but uh, I had a lot of Ninja Turtles as well. And um, I don't know what else to say about it. I remember this one birthday i was probably five or six my family got me like this carrying case for action figures and it was like the best gift i'd ever received it was just like this cheap plastic thing but you opened it up and there was a little slot for each action figure and then it could like come out and there could be more behind where the others were sitting so you could fit like 20 action figures in there or something um i remember being super excited about that it was a rad gift to have in the 90s all the all the slots yeah for my action figures. Did they have specific places where you always put them? I don't remember that. I remember that I used to call them my men, and my uh. mom was kind of freaked out by that. <laughs> so It's like our kids call their stuffed animals their pets. Right, even though not all of them are animals. Yeah. Yeah. Like dolls, any yeah, turtles, Pokémon, whatever they are, they're their pets. Yeah. All right, what about you? What was the most influential piece of fiction to you as a child? The one that comes to mind, which is funny, because I don't feel like it really shaped me, but maybe it did, is Captain Planet. <laughs> I just loved Captain Planet. What's the theme song to Captain Planet? Captain I don't remember. Planet, he's our hero, bringing our pollution level down, down to, to zero. zero. <laughs> you do remember. Well, I didn't really watch it much. It was a little bit after my time. I remember You're so old. my younger siblings watching that one, but... I, I know of its existence. I just feel like my desire to bring pollution level down to zero or just any start of, you know, being aware of my surroundings and my environment and recycling and whatnot and, and, and having a, at least a small appreciation for that came from Captain Planet. I bet your parents my, hated Captain Planet. I was going to say because my dad was kind of like, those hippies. <laughs> <laughs> He's not really. That but. hippie superhero with the <laughs> green hair. 
but a little bit. He's less, uh, what's a nice way? He, he's less concerned about recycling and whatnot, but mm-hmm. that comes from Captain Planet. Hey, what happened to the Captain Planet movie that was supposed to be coming out? Like, I didn't even know there was one. I told you about this, but it was like years ago. Years, well, that's, I forgot that there right. was supposed to be one. I think it was one. like Don Cheadle or someone that really? was going to be the Captain Planet. I could be, I could be wrong. I'm going to have to look that up, but yeah. But now you've put it out there. Yeah. Should we read some um, friend answers? Some Absolutely. Other, other humans that gave their answers? We had a lot, actually, so I'm not going to read them all. Fabulous. There's a few that said Harry Potter. Um, friend Becca Eddowes. I know. If I was thinking, that's Rachel. what got me is the wording was kid. If you're saying kid, right. I didn't read Harry Potter till I was Right. That was my thought, youth. too. But yeah, we had a few that answered Harry Potter. Um, Smiley Sarah said Percy Jackson. Um, I like Becca Edo's that said Edo's that said Boy Meets World. Yeah, love Boy Meets oh, World. Oh yeah, they were another one. They always handled heavy topics, man, for a Disney show. Yeah, but some of them were too heavy for even like the reruns on Disney Channel. Yes, they <laughs> wouldn't put them on there. Too racy. Like, Does that work there? Yeah, <laughs> they were too racy, like the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> They're like the executives were like, "Whoa, you're getting into Ninja Turtles territory here. We yep. better not uh, show this one to the kiddos." <laughs> um, Oh, my friend, friend Gazette Green said Princess Mononoke, which I don't know that one. But she said it made her want to take care of animals, which is really awesome. My friend Jerem said Simpsons. My friend Emily said Little House on the Prairie. Did you watch that one? Well, it's a book. Well, yeah, I mean, they had, a, a show. they had a series. I guess I think of it as a show with Michael Landon, right? Right. But um, did you watch or I read? I saw a few of the show and it was, I don't know, it never really hooked me. I tried reading the book recently and I found it kind of boring. Emily, Which Emily's so mad. I, well, not just I know it's like a big, popular one of lots of people's. I just it didn't hook me. I read the whole first one. I tried to start the second one, and then I gave up. Yeah. I should give it another try. Um, my friend Dykel Mavis, also known as Michael Davis, he he watched James Bond and Jackie Chan and kung fu movies with his dad. Also, I love this answer. He said, "Never mind." Watching 101 Dalmatians with my daughter. This shaped me. I think that's really cute. <laughs> this and Aladdin, he said. That's awesome. Sunny Pixel said the TV show Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which I love. Yeah, that's good. I still one. love. I've rewatched them all on Hulu. Also, the animated series t- of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I loved that one as well. Rupert A113 said Willow, and I'm so happy right now. You but have one friend. <laughs> he said that film made him love fantasy, so... I, well, he, that's high marks. He gets me, and you don't, <laughs> but he does. Mots, shout out to Mots. He also said Harry Potter, but I got to meet our, our dear listener Mots from Norway. So we have so a fan cool. in Norway, a listener, and I, we hung out, and it was the best day ever. Um, Tori Rosewood said Fan of the Opera 2004 and Wizards of Waverly Place. And our wonderful friend Eni, she said, movie The Lion King, TV show Gilmore Girls. Yes. We love Gilmore Girls. I wasn't allowed to watch that one. Until later? As a, as a youth. Oh. My so mom found it too racy. The band list was Captain Planet and Gilmore <laughs> Girls. Yep, that's my and, household. And the theme song to Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> so I watched all those later. I love Gilmore Girls. Yes. Eeny Meeny also said uh, book was Runaway Ralph. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. The mouse on the... the little the, mouse on the motorcycle. <laughs> do, you watch, do you remember the movie of it? I do not remember a movie. Oh, there, we need to find it i'm sure it's like on youtube i think they were like short after school special type videos but it was like i think fred savage was in it um you know you know another one i just thought of wishbone oh wishbone Wishbone introduced me to some i don't know if that's the theme that's what i picture in my ears (laughs) 
is because that's how memories of sounds work picture in my ears yeah the ones that were all about books because i i feel like those started formulating my love of stories and then of reading so oh i remember the um, and then reading rainbow i remember the it was like those two on my list not aladdin but the um alibaba and the 40 thieves one or whatever Oh, of Wishbone? Open Sesame, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That's the only one I remember. And then, yeah. Reading Rainbow. Gotta put that one on there, too. Set phasers to love me, LeVar Burton. (laughs) Let the record show Valerie (laughs) burping. We need a podcast stenographer to, like, type actions that we're doing. What is happening? Like Ethel Beaver's. That's that's said to be terribly boring. That's my next all-important question, is what fictional character would be our stenographer for our podcast? So be thinking about that. Whoa. <laughs> That's not That's Ethel Beavers. It's got to be someone else. <laughs> Any fictional character. Yeah. You know, from Batman to Wally the Robot. Who would be a good stenographer? Now my mind's whirring. Well, well let, oh, no, let's. Oh, that's we don't have later. to think about it right now. Okay. I'm just saying. Now I have to shift gears back. That can be our uh, all-important question next week. We'll ask. We'll poll the audience. Perfect. This week, though, we want to talk about the children who shaped fantasy. Yeah, there's this really interesting history of children who like stepped in and because of their choices and because of their influence on the adults in their lives, helped these awesome stories and things that we love come to pass, come to fruition. And without them, it might not have happened or it would have happened very, very differently. Yes, I love the idea that the children were influential. We often think maybe they were in, in kids' stories or something, but, but just that they would shape the stories of their the adults around them. Yeah. All right. Should we start with the big fantasy, Harry Potter? Harry Potter. Yes. Where to begin, Harry Potter? Well, what do you know? One of the stories that I love is that Richard Harris, who played Dumbledore in the first two films, was in his 70s and he he was offered the role of Albus Dumbledore, but he didn't want to take it because he was in his 70s. He didn't want to sign on for a series and be stuck in doing this for years and years when he's partially retired and wanting to spend time with his family. And I love that his... So he got offered it once, and he turned it down, and they offered it to him again with more money, and he turned it down. And they got offered to it a third time, and he was going to turn it down, but his granddaughter, Ella Harris, said that she would never speak to him again if he didn't take the role of Dumbledore. (laughs) Like, it was just too good. She wouldn't be able to understand. Do you remember how old Ella was I don't, mm. I don't know if I saw that anywhere 11 she was 11, 11. Yeah. so Ella Harris 11 year old talked him into it I liked that he valued her opinion enough and that he would be sad enough if she you know because kids say that all the time I'm never speaking to you again but they actually do speak to you again what's also funny about this story is um so at the time when he was saying he didn't really want to do it and he wondered if maybe he could just do a few movies and stop which sounds crazy to think about like because Dumbledore is so important throughout the series but he hadn't read the books he didn't know um, how important Dumbledore was and he asked his agent well can I just do one and get out of the rest and and the agents said yeah you can and he's like okay well how do I do that and he said you have to die like <laughs> which is like so Richard Harris prescient. or the character no Richard Harris had to die which is like so like sad but prescient as well that like he did die a couple years later and I guess on his deathbed he told Christopher Columbus I'll kill you if you if you recast uh, Dumbledore like he he had fallen in love with the character and was happy with it right um, he was really sick and he had cancer and he was getting losing a lot of weight and everything but even as he was getting really sick he did not want to be recast he still wanted to do the third movie right and then he was unable to but well and director christopher columbus also he also said that 
he didn't even realize Richard Harris had cancer. Uh, he just he knew that his health was poor because he'd been losing weight, but he didn't realize how bad it was until it was a little bit too late. Um, but even if we go back a little bit further to uh, the creation of Harry Potter, so J.K. Rowling was shopping the you know the manuscript around, and she'd been to like every publisher she could think of. Yeah, and they'd all said no. And she'd finally got to Bloomsbury, which only had like had only recently the summer before I think that she had sent in her manuscript. They had started doing children's books. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. realize that. So she, I didn't mean to take over the story. No, go for okay. it. You're good. I've got so much to say about Tolkien later. Oh, okay. If you want to, <laughs> I'll cover Wax Harry on about Harry Potter. You can go for it. Yeah. So Bloomsbury gets the manuscript from Tol- uh, from not from Tolkien from Rowling and she says oh I don't remember the editor's name but anyways he takes the manuscript home but it just kind of sits there and his daughter Alice Newton she picks it up and reads it or he I think he handed it to her yeah I think she was upstairs in the house and he just handed it to her and went down to I don't know read the newspaper or watch tv or something yeah and so she starts reading it and she loved it and was just begging her dad like well when's the next one going to come out what's going to happen where you know had all these questions about well, the series. I don't even think it was the full book I think it was only oh, a portion for the for the for the publisher and so she was sense. begging just to get the rest of that first book even so they signed on JK Rowling's I think it was like 2,500 pounds yeah I did the I did the math so uh-huh. with the exchange rate plus looking back to 1997 with inflation it was like just over five thousand dollars u.s dollars if you were to which if i were to sell a book for five grand i'd be like sweet right and but that's i mean but also for how much money that has made bloomsbury over the years like people say it's one of the best deals anyone's ever made ever. (laughs) (laughs) seriously great investment yeah way to go alice you knew it right which anyone who's read even just the first couple chapters of harry potter would be like where's the rest of the story right yeah oh, i love harry potter so much um so that this story is very very similar eerily similar to what happened with tolkien so in the 30s tolkien had published a few things he published some poems i think he'd already published the adventures of tom bombadil which you know you talk about the impact of of children so much of what he was creating was like he was creating two things he was spending a lot of time on his mythology of Middle-earth. I don't even know if he had the name for Middle-earth yet or not, but this elven mythology. And then conversely, he also on the side had all these fun stories that he was telling to his kids and they really loved him. And so there's already an impact of, of children, but there's one child in particular that um, was so important to the publishing of The Hobbit, which was just huge. Um, what were we going to say? Well, I wanted to point out, because that's the the way I had always heard the story is that Tolkien was, you know, telling The Hobbit to his children and then decided to write it down, but it wasn't exactly that way. In the 50th anniversary printing of The Hobbit, uh, Christopher Tolkien, Tolkien's son, wrote that he remembered being between four and five years old and was greatly concerned with petty consistencies as the story unfolded, and that on one occasion I interrupted Last time you said Bilbo's front door was blue and you said Thorin had a gold tassel on his hood, but you've just said that Bilbo's front door was green and the tassel on Thorin's hood was silver, at which point my father muttered, damn the boy, and then strode across the room to his desk to make a note. (laughs) So while he was telling his stories to his children simultaneously, he was writing them on his own. They weren't necessarily just stories he made up for his children. Right. I think that's how Tom Bombadil started, but that was a little bit before, I think, the story of the Hobbit was a little bit, um, a little bit later. Yeah, because Tolkien explained in a New York Times interview in 1967 that while his children inspired the story, the story was written just as much, um, 
just as you know more than just amusement for his you know his children at bedtime um he said this is tolkien's quote he said that's all sob stuff anything that in any way marked out the hobbit as for children instead of just for people they disliked instinctively meaning his children and i did too now that i think about it so the idea that the hobbit's just for kids Mm-hmm. Um, because it was told the children, right? You know, it's kind of depreciating the value of the book in some way. So I have this other quote from his biographer Humphrey Carpenter, and this kind of talking about what I was mentioning before. He says, "Tolkien's imagination was running along two distinct courses that did not meet. On one side were the stories composed for mere amusement, for the entertainment of his children. On the other were the grander themes associated with his own legends. Meanwhile, nothing was reaching print beyond a few poems in the Oxford Magazine." which indicated to his colleagues that Tolkien was amused by dragons, hordes, and funny little men with names like Tom Bombadil, a harmless pastime. Something was lacking, something that would bind the two sides of his imagination together and produce a story that was at once heroic and mythical and at the same time tuned to the popular imagination. Um, so yeah, we've already got sort of in the influence of his children in some way like we've talked about. But then there was um, Rainer Unwin, who's a, a little boy, and he was the publisher's son at Allen and Unwin, and so let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, in a letter that Tolkien wrote in 1964 uh, to a Christopher Bretherton, he says, The Hobbit saw the light and made my connection with Alan, and, with Alan and Unwin by an accident. It was not known except to my children and to my friend, C.S. Lewis. But I lent it to the mother superior of Churwell Edge to amuse her while recovering from flu. It thus came to the notice of a young woman, a student resident in the house, or the friend of one, who worked in Alan and Unwin's office. Thus it passed to the eyes of Stanley Unwin, who tried it on his younger son, Rainer, then a small boy. So like it's like passing hands. He has this sort of unfinished manuscript. It ended with the death of dra- the dragon Smaug. So it didn't even have a complete ending yet. And he lent it to someone who had the flu, and then it fell into hands of someone else who was like, hey, you should publish this. And then it got sent to Alan and Unwin's, and then he gave it to his son. Now, it's not quite the same as the Harry Potter one in that in uh, the Bloomsbury case, it was almost like he was passing it off to the daughter. Like, I don't I don't have time for this or whatever. Or right. It just sort of fell into her hands. Whereas Rainer Unwin, the 10-year-old son of the publisher, he was basically for hire by his dad. So he got a shilling for every book report that he would write on a, on a <laughs> unpublished manuscript or yet to be published manuscript. And basically, if he recommended it, they would publish it. So he had a lot of power, this little this little boy who would get a shilling for every book report. Um, and I want to read the little book report that he wrote about the Hobbit. He says, Bilbo Baggins was a Hobbit who lived in his Hobbit hole and never went for adventures. At last, Gandalf the wizard and his dwarves persuaded him to go. He had a very exciting time fighting goblins and wargs. At last, they get to the Lonely Mountain. Smaug the dragon, who guards it, is killed, and after a terrific battle with the goblins, he returned home, rich. This book, with the help of maps, does not need any illustrations. It is good and should appeal to all children between the ages of five and nine. <laughs> it's like so professional sounding. And I, he just gives a little summary and then he oh, ends with so who it, he recommends it to. And it's just... Um, I love that if you look up his little, what do you, his little book, book report, report yeah. it has his little handwriting there. Yeah, and I love that there's an actual date stamped in the top corner of it yeah it's all official like he actually worked for the publisher and got got a shilling it was all all on on the books kind of a thing i love talking about children who influence fantasy and and um you know little rainer here he i like there's this quote from tolkien from that same new york times interview and he says children aren't a class they are merely human beings at a different stage at different stages of maturity all of them have a human intelligence which even at its lowest is a pretty wonderful thing and the entire world in front of them so i like the idea that tolkien 
valued his children's opinion. He valued Rainer's opinion and that these kids have their own level of intelligence and maturity, even at their young ages, that is of value. Also, just a brief little tangent. What's cool about Rainer Unwin is that he and Tolkien had a friendship through, you know, for the rest of Tolkien's life. Mm-hmm. Um, Tolkien really relied on him for manuscripts of Lord of the Rings, which didn't get published till 1954. So it was quite a few years later. By then, Rainer Unwin was um, like in college, he I think. Like he college, was, yeah. he was older, and um, but he was still considered invaluable to Tolkien. And Tolkien said, you know, Lord of the Rings would not have been published without him. He wasn't his only, you know, help and reviewer. He had C.S. Lewis and and others, but um, Rainer was a big part of that. And there's this letter that Tolkien sent to Rainer about uh, Rainer's son, who he'd, he'd named Merlin. And uh, Rainer was a lover of fantasy, but um, Tolkien told him, like, yeah, Gandalf would not be a good idea for the name of your son. Gandalf's too old of a name. Like, Gandalf was born old is basically what he <laughs> said, but Merlin was more fitting. <laughs> Which it's is funny, funny because Merlin was born as old as possible, and then he ages backward. Oh, I forget about that. So he gets younger. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Which Tolkien would have known. I mean, he right. knew all that stuff, so. He's one, he's read Once in Future King. Right. But I love how history repeats itself. You know, there's this parallel between Rainer Unwin and um, Alice Newton, uh, both the children of, of publishers, relations of publishers, and they get these hugely popular books. The Hobbit was right. a huge book. Like, I don't think we remember how big it was because... It was long before our time. And and Lord of the Rings was bigger, but it The Hobbit came first and it was, it was huge. And then, of course, Harry Potter was just a phenomenon. But these children were vital to their publications. But then... Also, there's another parallel here where we talked about Richard Harris, the actor who played Dumbledore, and how important his granddaughter was. But then you've also got Viggo Mortensen, who played Aragorn in uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy of films. Yes, I love the story of Viggo Mortensen being offered the role of Aragorn, and it's last minute. Like he, they had another actor that was they had already been shooting, hadn't they? Yeah, so they'd already been doing rehearsals, rehearsals. and. Um, Stuart Townsend was the actor. I don't even and know who that is. He hasn't really done much, and I think there were a lot of like creative differences. Um, the the political stance of you know the way that the the team worded it was that Aragorn they cast him too young, but I think that they were having some struggles with Stuart, Stuart Townsend as well. And I don't know, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I obviously wasn't there, and there's you can research that part yourself. But the story goes that there was a lot of uh, struggle between. The creative team and the actor and, and possibly the other actors. I don't really know. But anyways, yeah, Stuart Townsend um, was considered too young for the role and he was kicked off. So they had to recast. Yeah. Very last minute. And they offered it to Viggo Mortensen and he gets off the phone and he's like, well. Well, first of all, they offered it to him in the morning and oh. they said, you have till the afternoon to decide. Like you've got a 13 hour plane to get here. And like he asked, <laughs> can I have some time to think about it? He'd never read Lord of the Rings. He didn't know. He had anything he had about no background. it just like you know Richard Harris didn't know Harry Potter and so yeah he he gets off the phone and his son who I think was how old he he 11? was 11 I believe yeah oh another 11 year old Alice I know and Rainer and <laughs> I think they're Rainer all was 10. That 10 or 11 they're all 10 yeah. or 11 very influential age apparently what will our own children accomplish at the age of <laughs> age of 10 but yeah so he was around 11 and he asked his dad you know well what was that phone call about and he's telling him it was about lord of the rings and his son was just thrilled that his dad could be in and could be aragorn because he just loved the lord of the rings trilogy yeah which is 
awesome yeah. at for such a young age. Like he must right. have been a voracious reader because Lord of the Rings is dense for me yeah, <laughs> and for <exactly>. any adult <laughs> and for an 11 year old. That's awesome that he he knew the stories really well. So so as Viggo Mortensen put it in an interview, it was nice to have a son's blessing to fly around the world and be in this production for a long time. <laughs> so um, Viggo Mortensen had an interview with Collider uh, a few years back, and I want to read part of that. He says, Lord of the Rings was a case where I replaced an actor, and they were already filming, not only filming, but they'd been rehearsing for months and learning all these skills they had to have for those movies. Language skills, elvish, swordplay, and horse riding, all this stuff. Oh, so aside. So I guess they were already filming, not just rehearsing. And he continues, and I was kind of freaked out because I said, yeah, and I'm on the plane on this 13-hour plane flight, and I'm looking at the book, which I had never read. But, But as I started looking at it, I was like, well, there's something... There's always something that you can draw on. I had read or been read to as a kid stories about Vikings and Nordic sagas and stuff. And there was something there that was familiar. But it was still, you know, fortunately, when I started doing that shoot, it was physical stuff, not dialogue. So it was like sword fighting. So I could get my feet wet with that before I actually had to start speaking. It's not ideal, but it seemed, uh, well, my son was really into me doing it. And he was 11 at the time. And that kind of pushed me over the edge to say, yeah, okay. And obviously, I'm glad I did it. It opened up a lot of doors for me. And we had a lot of fun making those three movies. And I want to, it might feel a bit like a tangent, but I think it's it's huge that Vico Mortensen was in those movies. So I'm going to wax poetic about Vigo a little bit because I love him so much. And if his son hadn't convinced him, that that trilogy would be very different. I oh, really, yes. really believe how different that trilogy would be. Not just Aragorn as a character, but he influenced the people, not just the actors, but not just the director, but everyone on that set in like such a positive, awesome way. Yeah, if you ever watch all the behind the scenes. Yeah. Everybody loves him. Yeah. They're like, he took his sword play so seriously and he wouldn't carry the like lightweight prop sword. He'd carry the official really the, heavy one. Yeah, they call one. it the hero sword, which is like the real sword, yeah. not the, you know, because in long shots they would give them. The lightweight sword, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'm going to carry the legit like Cause it really needs to look heavy. real at all look, times. Yeah. yeah. And with the horses, there were some of the horses that he just grew to love so much that he bought them for the trainers. Yeah, so he would, well, first of all, he would, um, there there was that scene by the edge of the lake where he's like lying down and the horse lies down next to him. Um, and it could be a really dangerous scene. So he had to be like, have a really good relationship with that horse. And so he would spend a lot of time in the barn with the horse when he didn't really need to, but um, he would even like sleep in the barn. So like the horse like really <laughs> knew, him. Yeah. knew him so well and... Um, just to make that scene work. Um, so then the the story goes that the actress who was well, she was the she's an actress, but she's a stunt the stunt double, the stunt writer for for um, That's right. Liv Tyler. Uh, so she was a stunt writer on that white horse during the um, the scene with the river. Yes. Um, but you know they're they're heading to Rivendell and she takes the horse across the river and so her stunt writer whose name was Jane Abbott she developed like a really super close relationship with that horse. And just loved that horse. And she was distraught that at the end of the shoot, and you think about these movies, they were all shot back to back. And so she probably had a long time to develop a love of that horse. And um, I don't know how much the hor- that horse was in the movies or if they maybe used that horse for other scenes. I'm not sure. But anyways, the... Probably they had a whole herd of right. horses on... Probably used what they could. Yeah. Um, so Jane, yeah, she really loved this horse, just deeply loved the horse. And um, Viggo Mortensen had a couple horses on set that he really loved and he bought them um, for himself. He just loved them so much. And he bought the horse for Jane Abbott just as a gift, you know, and just presented it to her. He's like, this is your horse. And it, <laughs> it like 
warms my heart every time. Like I get teary eyed every time I watch that part of the behind the scenes uh, uh, DVDs. And yeah, I just love Viggo Mortensen so much. And there's so many cool stories like that. Um, he He's artistic in so many other ways. He's a photographer, so he was always just taking photographs on set. Um, he's an artist and a poet. And I think it was his idea that there's a scene where they have to get up or they have, it's like a sunrise scene when he and um, Legolas and Gimli are running across the plains and the, they wanted a really early, um, like an early shot. And so he, I think it was his idea to just camp out and just have like a little fun powwow camp out <laughs> with all the actors. And I think, you know, that's only the three of them and then the crew, but the I think crew. a bunch of the other actors were like, well, we want to come. I want to so come. They would just, yeah, I would. <laughs> so there's just like a fun camp out with everybody. And it was just cool stuff like that, that, you know, the, the camaraderie you can feel feel that and it would not have been there without Viggo Mortensen there and I absolutely agree he really shaped the feeling of their fellowship yeah and I'll put it all down to his yeah it all came down to his son Henry good old Henry all right we've talked about Harry Potter Lord of the Rings the big ones we have a couple other other little ones we want to talk about some honorable mentions of children intervening in fantasy's sake I want to mention J.M. Barry, the author of Peter Pan and he of course as we know he was friends with the uh, Llewellyn Davies boys there are five boys um, George John Peter Michael and Nicholas and these five boys he was friends with their parents and their family and um, he would even you know invite them to his little cottage for summer vacations and things and and um, he was closer to Michael and Nicholas the the youngest two those were the two that he met first when they were at a park in Kensington and he actually wasn't as close to Peter it seems but for whatever reason he chose the name Peter and he says uh, he has this quote um, where he gives the boys full credit for the play Peter Pan and he says I suppose I always knew that I made Peter by rubbing the five of you violently together that is all he is the spark I got from you so I like that idea that he took a little bit of all the boys and created Peter Pan out of them but poor Nicholas didn't get a character named after him that's messed up you know there's a John there's a George there's a Peter and a Michael, isn't there? Is there not a George? I don't know a George. John. Okay, there's John, John and, and Michael, Michael and Peter. are the brothers. So poor George Peter. and Nicholas don't have characters named after them, but the others do. That's Who knows? messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about Alice in Wonderland. Alice, good old Alice, is is uh, named after a real human being. Um, so Lewis Carroll, who I didn't I didn't realize that was a pen name. I didn't know pretty much anything about Lewis Carroll. But uh, his name, was, his real name is Charles Lutwidge Dodson. Dodgson. Dodgson. We've got Dodgson here. Little <laughs> Jurassic Park reference for you. So, yes, Mr. Dodgson. Was, I didn't know he was a reverend. I, yeah, I guess. And he also, you know, Tolkien was a professor at Oxford. Mr. Dodgson was a lecturer at Oxford, I believe, long before, um, almost 100 years before, uh, in the 1800s. So the, they were, he was on a pleasant outing with some friends. Uh, so there was... Carol, and then there was a colleague uh, of the church, Robinson Duckworth, and then three young daughters of um, some dean uh, at Oxford. So there was Alice, Lorena, and Edith Little, um, and they were on a like a rowing boat on the. They called it the River Isis, which is I guess just another name for the Thames. I didn't realize that. Learn new things all the time. Um, so they're on this sort of rowing trip for like a couple hours, and it was like super hot, and so. They were all just relaxing in the shade under the tree. And the girls were like, just tell us a story, you know, to, to Mr. Dodgson, um, Mr. Carroll. And so in 
a New York Times article from 1928, Alice, she says, The beginning of Alice was told to me one summer afternoon when the sun was so hot we landed in the meadows down the river, deserting the boat to take refuge in the only bit of shade to be found, which was under a newly made hayrick. Here from all three of us, my sisters and myself, came the old old petition. Tell us a story, and Mr. Dodgson began it. Um, Sometimes to tease us, Mr. Dodgson would stop and say suddenly, That's all till next time. Oh, we would cry, It's not bedtime already, and he would go on. Another time the story would begin in the boat, and Mr. Dodgson would pretend to fall asleep in the middle to our great dismay. So yeah, that one's you know similar to, to Tolkien telling stories of Tom Bombadil to his kids, but that's how Alice in Wonderland started, was just stories to some bored kids. <laughs> Which is probably how more stories than we realize got started. Yeah, I'm sure or there's so the, many more than these. the news. grain, you know, a little idea or a character or something about it, yeah, started with telling a story to your kids. Yeah. I want to tell one more story, and this isn't really fantasy necessarily it's a bit of an aside but it's just a really cool story so i'm going to tell it and um i think it's really interesting the state of pop culture because um there's so many people who grew up in like the 70s and 80s that have some creative license and creative power now and so they're you know kids that grew up on things like back to the future and indiana jones and star wars and and jj abrams is the big one of those types of kids that these kids that grew up making little super eight movies you know in the in the 70s and 80s that were inspired by spielberg and lucas and there's as the story goes so kathleen kennedy who you may know as the head of lucasfilm but she had her hand in tons of big um, spielberg productions long before that she's been his producing partner for a long time and anyway she was telling the story in um, vanity fair she says it was funny i was working with steel with steven and i got a phone call one day and this man was living in a house up on Lookout Mountain in Arizona. He'd been down in his basement, and he found this box covered in dust. And he said to me, these are all home movies, and I think they belong to Steven Spielberg. Now, my first cynical thought, unfortunately, was, you know, this is just somebody trying to get money, and so I'm not going to act overly excited about this. I just said, well, you know, great. If you don't mind, we're on the Universal lot. Maybe you could just swing by and drop the box off, and we'll take a look and see if, in fact, they belong to Steven. So I hang up the phone. The first thing I say to Steven is, did you ever live on Lookout Mountain? He goes, yes, I did. Now I'm thinking, oh, okay, this guy's not making this up. So I said, well, somebody thinks they found your home movies. He goes, oh, you're kidding. And he had just assumed all these early Super 8 films he had made when he was 15, 16 years old were long gone. He'd lost them. He didn't know where they were. Um, so she keeps telling the story, and the man you know, brings them, and they are the, these real home movies that Steven Spielberg made when he was a kid. And Kathleen Kennedy remembers she had just seen that these two kids won um, like this film festival at, at a, in Los Angeles. And so she suggested to Stephen, hey, why don't we hire these kids for a, a day or so, or a day or two? I don't know how long kids it took. Kids are like teenagers. Yeah, teenagers. Um, and she's like, they just won this film festival, and maybe we could ask them to sort of restore these old movies to make sure that they're preserved. Um, and those kids happen to be J.J. Abrams and his childhood friend, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves is director, or he directed Cloverfield, the first one, and he directed Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes. He's also going to be the director of the new Batman movie coming out in 2021, I want to say. I didn't even know there was a new Batman movie. Yeah, with, uh, you know who's Batman? No, who's the new Batman? Our good friend Cedric Diggory is Batman. Really? Yeah. Interesting yeah. choice. So Matt Reeves. He's moody enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all for it. but And I love Matt Reeves. I think he's a really good director and underrated and... Um, so yeah, he and JJ were childhood we'll have friends. To bulk up. I don't picture him. Sorry, I'm really stuck on this thing. <laughs> Cedric Diggory. To bulk up to be Batman, but otherwise, you know. <laughs> um, Tangent. But it, it's. I just love this story because JJ Abrams, as he tells it, you know, it's just not that many years after that that he he was in talks to 
possibly make like a Roger Rabbit movie that never came to fruition, but he was, Spielberg was going to like produce it. And when he first met Steven, he's like, Hey, you probably don't remember this. But when I was like 15 or 16 and Steven's like, Oh, I remember you, you, uh, you know, restored my movies for me. So, um, yeah. And they were, um, JJ and, and Matt Reeves were like really nervous. I mean, there was no copies of these. This was the only copy. Like there's no negative. It's like, this is it. And these are like, don't mess up. And this is like a historical artifact. Like this is possibly the greatest director of all time. And he's trusting them with his childhood home movies. Like that's a historical artifact. And as he tells it, you know, back then there weren't like DVDs with special features behind the scenes. Like this is where their chance as kids to like see where this director came from. And they were really good. And they were kind of legendary in, in filmmaking circles, these early Spielberg movies. And they got to help restore them. So that's. I just think that's really cool that they ended up growing up and um, JJ became really good friends with Spielberg. They've worked a lot together and I think he really gets along with Steven and their wives really get along together too. And so it's just kind of fortuitous, but I just love that and kind of relates to what we're talking about, but yeah. Close enough. Yeah. We love a good story. (laughs) That's what we're all about here on our podcast. Good stories. We have an exciting announcement. We are launching a... That was too racy. (laughs) Tone it down. Uh, I'm just trying to live up to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We are launching a Hello from Elsewhere store on Teespring, and we're super excited. It is live right now. You can find the link in the episode description. With our awesome new logo by Vaishan Brandon. Yeah, and we also have some stuff that just says Happy Beeps. So if you want a Happy Beeps shirt or mug, uh, go for it. But to sort of celebrate the launch of this store we are going to do a giveaway of a t-shirt of your choice whether hello from elsewhere logo or happy beeps so there are three ways to enter this giveaway i love this this is like the equivalent of the t-shirt cannons yeah into the crowds we hope you guys are all freaking out right now (laughs) over a t-shirt Please freak out over our t-shirts but it's better than like advertising like a A bank a bank plumber yeah this is like we're a podcast that's above a plumber right (laughs) we have a sizable portion of our listeners who are plumbers and now we do not so (laughs) i offended them all so the first way to enter is to simply follow us on instagram or twitter and if you do that you automatically get one entry and then another way is to we're going to have a post um, announcing this giveaway so if they're already followers they're good they're already entered yep sweet you could win without doing anything else from yeah, right now it's possible it's po- you get one entry if you already follow us and if you don't already follow us just follow us and you'll get an entry one other way is to tag a friend in the post in the post explaining the giveaway in the instagram post that yes. will explain this giveaway yep yes the instagram post and then this is the best part. You can get some extra entries because it's going to be a random thing. But if you've got your name in, you know, in the proverbial hat multiple times, higher chances of winning, right? So we recently got a very, very nice rev- review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts by Ryan Lehman, who said that listening to Hello from Elsewhere is what he thinks it's like to receive a Wookiee hug. Which is the best compliment ever. Yeah. I'm a huge Chewy fan. I want a Wookiee hug. Yeah. So we were kind of freaking out about that review because it's just, it's just the best. So we thought it'd be so much fun to have you, our listeners, just give us a descriptive simile of what it feels like to listen to our podcast or what it's like to listen to Valerie's voice or my voice. So (laughs) we're all fans of Casey's voice. So, yeah. So so come up with a, a fun description of what it's like to listen to the podcast or to our voices. And you can leave that description in the Instagram post 
or on the Twitter post explaining it. Which is worth one entry. One extra entry, yes. Right. So you've already, if you followed us, and if you tag a friend, and add a description, you've got three entries right there in that in that uh, metaphorical hat I talked about. But you can also get two extra entries if you will leave your descriptive simile as a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Yep. And if you do that, just send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter and say, hey, this review that I just put on iTunes, that was me. And we'll say, boom, you've got two entries to win that. Happy beeps or hello You're from Outsource T-shirt. You're doing the math, right? This isn't my job. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to spreadsheet the heck out of this. I am so excited. Spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. I just want to be the one who pushes the, the button. On the randomizer. The randomizer. Okay. That's you can all do I want to do. Pusher. You can do the math. I'll push the button. <laughs> so, yeah, as I said, the random winner will be chosen randomly, but that More you get, entries, which better chance. those are pretty simple entries. You know, there's no, just follow us, tag a friend, and come up with a fun simile. It could We're be, not asking you to stand barefoot in the snow yeah. while you follow us and tag a and friend. And don't do that. You won't get extra entries. <laughs> Maybe. It's worth nothing to us. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that description can be silly, it can be poetic, it can be super duper flattering, whatever you want to do. And it could technically be unflattering too. We'll still give you entries. That's true. It's true. But please love us. <laughs> <laughs> so not only will the winner be chosen randomly, so that person's going to get a t-shirt. Super awesome. But also we will read all of our favorite descriptions on the podcast so really if you write an awesome description and you don't win a t-shirt you still win because you get to hear your wonderful poetry on hello from elsewhere read by casey's melodious voice <laughs> i'll read them sure <laughs> i don't i shouldn't have to read them all you should read some people like your voice it's not the it's same it's cute it's like a little bit smoky <laughs> it's like yeah mm-hmm, true. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's close out this episode Thanks for joining us. Let us know what you think. We're so excited to read all of your reviews about the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to Hello from Elsewhere. It really helps us reach more listeners like you. And don't forget that our Twitter and Instagram are at Elsewhere underscore pod. That's very important to the aforementioned uh, giveaway. Now, Well, let's go have second breakfast. I was going to say we're going on an adventure. Maybe let's have second breakfast. And then go on an adventure. But we could skip the cleaning the house. Yeah, Lobelia will do that. She wants the house, <laughs> she's got to clean it. Yep. All right, happy beeps. Happy beeps. <laughs>